everybody. Welcome to the 73rd episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, when you face really hard and difficult circumstances in your life, what what what's your like your coping mechanism? Like how do you cope with difficult things in your life? Uh curl up in a ball and cry for a little while. And then hmm. Sometimes talk to Casey. Uh, usually talk through it all with Casey and then do some crying and then I'm usually okay. Oh, that's fair. What's weird about life when you have a lot of responsibilities is like you can't, you just can't, you're just not allowed to do that. You have to figure out ways to like function and take care of your family and people who rely on you while you're suffering through things. And I think it's like one of the most difficult parts about having those kinds of responsibilities is when you have those hard times, like it's super rewarding and it makes the good times like way better in my opinion as well, at least for me personally, but it also makes like the hard times way harder at the same time. It's, it's a real give and take. Yeah. I, I feel like, even with the, in, in my opinion, with the freedom to curl up and cry, I, my good times still get, are still very good. And the bad times are less bad, but I don't know. That's uh, part of why I have structured my life the way I have. That's fair. That's a good way to look at it. So uh, what are we talking about? on the podcast this week. I, I know I had to take off last week because that was, that was an, apparently another one of my coping mechanisms was taking a week off the podcast. That's a good coping mechanism. If you're doing a podcast and you have something hard going on, take a week off your podcast. I recommend that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited so, to get back into it though. Yeah. I'm glad to have you back. Travis is great, but I'm, I'm glad you're back. Yeah. Happy um, to be back. So this week we are going down to... We are making a, we're talking about our tier list where we ranked all of the heroes currently legal and class constructed and kind of put them in a tier based on the upcoming ProQuest metagame and the calling in Dallas and whatever other class constructed events are happening before the next Living Legend update. Yeah. Well, and normally what we do is we give away the goose right from the top. We start at the, we start at the best heroes in the game. Let's mix it up. Let's start with the worst. Let's start with the 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 truly worst F tier heroes in the game. Get the negativity this, out of the way first, and now we'll, then we'll end on a high note instead of starting off positive and ending negative. You know, this sounds like just like an excuse to put off talking about Lexi. But let's do it. Let's start at the bottom. <laughs> no, 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 no. I would never. What do you mean, Lexi's your top rated hero? I can't know. Uh, I don't maybe. believe that. She's not in your F tier. No, no. Okay, uh, let's start at the bottom though. So, okay. The other day, like a couple of weeks ago, we had a a grudge match because we had a very, very strong disagreement about what the worst hero of the game was. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. I and, remember I punted. <laughs> and uh, I think the worst hero in the game that there is not really much reason to play as is Arachne because everything you could do in Arachne, Uzuri does better. And also, Arachne has no specialization, well, no real specializations, <laughs> and 
Their hero ability is just reasonably worse than Usury's, and Usury has a very good specialization in Shakedown. Um, so I think you just shouldn't play Arachne. I think if you want the fatigue assassin gameplay style, which you can play, you just Usury does it better. Anything you want to do in Arachne except regicide the royals, Usury's going to do better. So I think Arachne is the worst hero in the game. Yeah, I, still Prism, I still have Prism as the worst hero in the game because everything what? you said about Arachne and Usury is still true for Prism and Dromai. Everything you want to be doing in Prism, like making allies or attacking with efficient things, you could just, just Dromai does like a thousand times better. And it's not particularly close. And I punted. I could have won that game. Arachne should have won our grudge match. A better player <laughs> in my seat would have beaten Prism, you know? Would have beaten my me piloting Prism there, but I would I would You're the world champion. do it again. It's a, it's, I'm handicapped. <laughs> I'm already a part-time I'm I'm a caster or law school student. I'm not even a real flesh and blood player anymore. The results of my matches are dubious at best when determining real meta results. So if we take mm. away it's like go. I need like a handicap now. I need like that, like a five point <laughs> life handicap. And uh when we factor that in, it's clear that Prism's the worst hero in the game, you know? Okay. Well, um, jumping around, Prism's not even my second worst hero in the game. Oh, Arachne's my second worst hero in the game. I have them one and two. I have them like, <laughs> I have no good reason. Once again, I like this line. I, I, I like this line is that at least when you're playing Arachne, all your cards in the bottom right hand corner block. Like you can at least block. And Prism can't even do that most of the time. So when you just factor in that both of them are clunky, cumbersome, weird heroes that have just strictly better versions of their classes available in much higher tiers, uh, one and two. Easy, easily the worst two heroes of the game. Um, speaking of strictly better versions of their heroes in higher tiers, my second F tier hero is Riptide. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, think, he's my last F tier, So, but go ahead. I think... He has um, he has some room. There's reasons to bring him. I think if the metagame is very specifically aggro decks with no disruption that are very um, aren't able to function in a way that does not turn on the traps, then Riptide is maybe pretty good because the traps are all very strong if your opponent's walking into the traps. But we're gonna I'm gonna jump around a little bit. A lot of my S and A tier heroes and B tier heroes. A lot of the heroes at the top. They don't, they don't have to just play into Riptide's traps. And um, he kind of just doesn't... He's kind of just a really bad aggro ranger if they aren't playing into your traps. Yeah, and he still struggles into the Ice Heroes because he's a, still a very like resource-lean deck. Uh, so that also makes him pretty bad into Kano as well. Uh, despite playing the traps, I wouldn't say he's particularly good into Bravo because he's not great at defending really big one single attack despite, despite having all of his traps and all of Bravo's disruption is really good against Riptide at the same time. So yeah, he's a, he's the last hero in my F tier as well. And uh, you know, he got that new supplemental arrow, blue arrow thing in the expansion slot in this slot. So maybe if they print like one Riptide specialization in the expansion slot per set, he'll be good in a couple of years. <laughs> uh, I, I do think once 
Lexi and Icelander and Dromai and Bravo living legend out. And they introduce then, no, no good heroes. Okay. Yeah. And no, no heroes that are good against Riptide. Then, then he might jump up. But for now, like you just, you just look at some of the best heroes in the game and you're like, I don't want to be playing Riptide into that hero. I don't want to be playing Riptide into that hero. I don't want to be playing Riptide into that hero. So poor, poor Riptide. Is so when we go to bottom. Savage Lands and we get tier one Reinar, I imagine Riptide sucks into Reinar. All of your defense reactions suck if you're, they're just getting intimidated away, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Maybe the new Rhinar won't intimidate as much. And like, how do you beat Teclo best in fatigue? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair too. <laughs> so maybe they'll print. Maybe what Riptide needs. Maybe. Well, I was gonna say maybe he needs a weapon that's not a bow, like a weapon that can actually attack. But then I remembered all the arrows. You can't actually fire them unless you have a bow equipped. Even if they get in your arsenal through some other means, you can't fire them without a bow. So that wouldn't help either so i poor riptide he's just like he wants to be a like defensive fatigue deck and then he has a weapon that or he doesn't have a weapon that can attack for damage and threaten to fatigue people he has some good disruption with the traps but it just it doesn't seem like he just doesn't quite there you know yeah not quite there i mean i wholeheartedly agree so Prism Prism was also in my F tier. She did not escape F tier despite winning the grudge match against Arachne. I think the biggest argument for Prism, in my opinion, is she does some very powerful things. And if she had 40 health, I think she would be like like reasonably good. Like quite good, actually. So quite good I to think, stretch. I think she'd be maybe middling around C tier. I I I don't I don't agree with that. I think if Prism had 40 health, I think eight extra life would bump her up to either a or b tier for me um i think that you still have access to all of old prisms very powerful cards the only thing you're losing is luminaris and old prisms hero power old prisms hero power is reasonably worse than new prisms hero power i think the luminaris was so much better than anything new prism is doing but i think that with 40 health um New Prism would have enough good matchups that she'd be a tier. I think Dromai would be really hard, but I think like Bravo would be a buy, Icelander would be a buy, and that's a good solid start when those are some of the better heroes in the game. I guess that's fair. I guess I'm just thinking of just how like when I'm playing a deck, right? Like there are decks that you play and you're just like, oh, I am implementing my game plan and my pieces are coming together and I'm having functional game plans and I'm getting good value on my turns and the deck just feels like you're, you're you're not fighting against your deck to play a game of flesh and blood you're just you're just playing a game <laughs> of flesh and blood and prism is a deck that looks that sometimes feels like you're actively not only fighting your opponent but your deck at the same time which is like the amount of resources you need and getting your angels to line up and getting your triggers to happen at meaningful times and then being able to block your opponent like i just feel like there are just so many things that just feel so difficult to do in prism that I think even with the extra life, I don't really like her angel game plan as like a core game plan strategy, but I guess that's not taking into consideration the Iris builds or the more heavy aura builds. So, and, but then at that point, then like, we're not even raking the, she's still an F tier hero. The mechanic of uh, Spectra is just, uh, (laughs) you know, an A or B tier uh, mechanic. I I don't know. I think like even if she's not playing any of her new cards and just doing the the iris stuff with the auras, like yeah, that's not her. Yeah, that that's is the, the power of the mechanic. 
<laughs> nothing is the hero. It's always the cards they're playing, right? That's not true of Starbo. Chain. Okay, Starbo was Star Starbo Starbo was a Ice pile Slater. of broken equipment and horrible cards. That was very good. Bravo. Bravo has nothing Kano. to do with his hero power. Bravo's hero power sucks. Viserai. Bravo's all in the cards. Okay. Okay. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. You're just naming a bunch of heroes. And some of them are fair, but some of them are just like their cards are carrying them. All right, buddy. Ready to move on to D tier? Yeah. Yeah. Who's at the bottom of your D tier? Okay. So I waffled on this one because I don't know. And uh, just given where they're at now, this could totally change. Uh, I could see them being pretty high in the future, especially once people have more time with the set of Bright Lights to figure it out. But I have Max and Teclo. I kind of lumped them together in D tier, at the bottom of D tier, because uh, just, I, I just can't see them having the current as they stand power level to really compete with a lot of what else is going on at the moment. And it's, I think it's going to take some time to really get good deck lists for these heroes to figure out. Uh, I don't want to come across as like negative on this one. Um, like I'll come across a negative as prism. And uh, when, when Dustal Dog <laughs> came out, I was like, yeah, prism sucks. And I'm still like, yeah, prism sucks. He's the worst hero because there's just such a clear, I, I thought just clear fundamental flaw in her game plan and design um this whole time then i think we've seen that play out as well but with these two heroes i think there's opportunity for them to go up in time i just can't see it at the moment and i think it's gonna be this isn't like me bashing these heroes it's just me saying i'm not smart enough to put them higher at the moment i guess if anything else <laughs> does that make sense fair yeah yeah it does um yeah, neither neither of those are at the bottom of my D tier. Though one of them is in my D tier. I'll get to when I get there. Okay. <clears throat> um, so the bottom of my D tier is uh, the two legal rune blades. It's Vincent and Viserai. I think Vincent's been around for a while, and she did quite well in Blitz for herself, but has yet to really crack into CC. I think there's some. Pretty big issues that still remain unsolved. I'm not saying that they'll never be solved and she might have the tools with the card she needs, but I, I don't see it. And poor Viserai, how the mighty have fallen. I put him in A tier last tier list, which did not prove to be the case. He's just gotten worse with the banning of, or the living legend of Rosetta Thorn. Just means a lot of his turns is going to present one less damage, which is pretty big amount to give away. And then I think the new... Um, the new Viscerai specialization, the blue block three that you can spend a bunch of resources to make rune chance. And then if you make, I think it's three or more rune chance, they have to discard your opponent discards cards. Um, I think that card is good. I think. In the living legend format, but this is the classic instructed to your list. Wait, it's a Viscerai specialization. You can play it. Yeah. And it's good in living legend where you can play blood. She's with it. Oh, sure. Sure. I, I do think that card's good enough. For if you draw a hand of four blues and you just cast that card for X equals four or whatever the maximum amount is, I don't exactly know the text of the card. I think that is a much better use of a four blue hand than most heroes are capable of. And I love blues that are playable. So I think that card's good. I think Viserai is not good. I think he still is going to struggle against Warmonger's Diplomacy and losing the Rosetta Thorn was a pretty big hit. 
on top of so, also just like being yeah, pretty bad. It, it needs to be six or greater. It's an XX card. So if you if this is in your arsenal and you have four blues in your hand, you pay you two of your blues are the first X, the second of your blues, the second pair of your blues are the second X. So then that's how you get the six. Um so, so you get okay. the six rune chance and make them discard three cards. For some reason I thought you could play off it in three blues and get the discard, but if it has to be in your arsenal and then you need to draw a hand of four blues, that makes it a lot worse than I thought it was. Maybe you just yeah, it, maybe it's great maybe with Bletchley Skeletta. It's it's a very good Skeletta card. Sure, sure. Okay. Sorry, Mr. I. I'm glad I put you in the bottom of D tier. I misunderstood what that card did. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, uh funnily enough, there are my next two heroes in D tier. Uh I heard the two room blades, uh Vincent and Viserai. Uh, Rosetta Thord was kind of the backbone of Runeblade's power level for a while. That's gone now. They didn't unban Duskblade. Um, and even if they did, I don't know how much higher I'd be putting these heroes on the tier list. So given that they both have pretty bad weapons, uh, their base equipment, obviously they still have very powerful, very, very, very powerful base equipment. Uh, no arguments for me there on, on that front. But as far as like their game plan and... Uh, power level of the cards in deck, I would say they're a pretty noticeable step below than everything else that's going on at the moment. And in order to... I don't really know what it's going to take for them to move out of this tier, because I don't really want to just say, well, a weapon or a dusk blade or something like that would just kind of solve all their problems. It just kind of... They... They're also soft to warmongers diplomacy from now until the rest of time because both of them want to be playing the non-attack action and the attack actions in the same turn. So there's just a lot of things going on that kind of, I think, have some gaps to fill in. And when we compare them to like the other two Runeblade that have lived in Legend now, like Chain and Briar, they both have significantly... Well, Chain has a significantly better hero ability than any other hero pretty much in the game. And Briar had access to the entire suite of elemental cards. And she really didn't play a lot of base Runeblade card cards in her deck. There, they were very few and far between. It was mostly just the elemental cards and powerful generics that really carried her, the strength of her on top of Rosetta Thorn and then the really busted uh, Runeblade equipment that blocked really well. So... Yeah, I, I think it's clear that Runeblades, from being the most problematic class when we started, probably are now in a rough spot. Yeah, I, I don't think they're that far away. If they get another weapon on the power level of Rosetta Thorn, I think Viserai's hero power is extremely powerful. Just like a lot of the time, it is two or three extra damage per turn, which most heroes would like kill for that hero power. Like being talentless sucks. Um, so he doesn't get access to as big of a card pool as Briar or Chain had. And like you were saying, Briar ha- didn't play very many base Runeblade cards. Chain didn't either. Most of the Runeblade cards Chain played were Shadow Runeblade cards. Um, he played like Blue Shrill and maybe Blue or Red Vexing Malice. But other than that, it was just like Shadow Runeblade cards and generics like Art of War and Belittle. So um, yeah, we'll see. I think there are some very powerful cards still. Like Revel's still very good. Swarming Gloomvale is still very good. And um, the equipment is very good, like you said. But for now, between having bad matchups into Lexi and Icelander, which are two of the best decks, and Warmonger's Diplomacy, which is also all over the place. Just seems like a rough time to be a Runeblade player. For sure. So, okay. Any other heroes in your D tier? Yeah. So I ha- my next hero in the D tier 
and then I'll talk about my mech that made D tier um, is Reinar. I think basically Reinar is kind of in the same boat as um, the three F tier heroes where there isn't a lot of reason to play him over, over Levia. Levia is more powerful and Intimidate is just not that good of a keyword right now. People still are not trying to block a lot, shockingly. <laughs> um, even in this format where like Lexi has been very strong and one of the ways to fight her is by blocking a lot and stopping her on hits and threatening to fatigue her. Even still, Ryder just isn't powerful enough on numbers to compete with the aggressive decks while also like threatening these really defensive decks with his Intimidates. So I think Reinar is a couple really good cards away from being a hero that you want to be taking to an event. I think the weapons are fine and some of his best cards are very good, like Blood Rush Bellow, but he's just not there right now. Yeah, agree. He's also in my D tier and that's all my D tiers. So tell me, I'm, I'm eager to know which one of the mechs made your, made your D tier. Uh, the last D tier for me is Teclavasin. I think that he does some really cool things and I think that the rate you get when you banish the Evos is very good, but I think, and then also having blues that you're happy to play is something that I think is really strong. And all four of the blue majestics are probably going to be in the deck. Maybe just three sets of them. Maybe you play like tunic or uh, foundry heart to help banish them or something. But I just think that his matchups into any heroes that are trying to do arcane damage, you, you can't reasonably present arcane barrier because you're trying to put this equipment on. Um, it just makes it basically impossible to imagine ever beating Icelander with him. I think he's going to struggle a lot into Dromai. And then if you start with these base equipment that you can't block with and you need to upgrade them, you just are going to really struggle into hitting Lexi's breakpoints to block out. And I I think if you're bad into Dromai, Icelander, and Lexi, you can't be higher than D tier. You got to be at least functional into one of them to have a, a shot in, the, in a tournament. So yeah, I think Teclo is in D tier and maybe once Lexi gets out of here, maybe someone else or maybe Lexi and Icelander will get out of here and he can kind of fight more of this value mid-rangey game that he wants to play without not without the lack of arcane barrier costing him so much. But for now, I, I don't see how you how you build him in a way that's competes with the other mechs or fights any of the top tier heroes. Yeah. And so in taking in and synthesizing all the things you just said, my first impression was like, yeah, but he's really cool. Like the whole Evo's flavor cool. thing is like, it's like a really cool, unique way to play flesh and blood in a way that no other hero in the game really does at the moment. And I was thinking about it and I was like, Prism fits that bill pretty much one for one at the moment. Like she plays the game in a super unique way uh, that no other hero really kind of, kind of can do between like tutoring cards out of her deck and then creating these angels and the angels and like this whole alternative resource of managing her soul. It's just like the vibe and just like the game plans that some of these heroes were talking about in the bottom tier are just so different from kind of like everything else we're about to talk about above them. And I think that kind of speaks to just like the core engine of flesh and blood just is usually so rewarding of just baseline rate, you know, just making sure that you're getting the value on a turn to turn sequence out of your hand is really important in a game that revolves around, you know, turn to turn sequences and gameplay patterns. So maybe the issue is that it just like the payoffs and rewards for doing their thing just isn't high enough. Like, 
it's a really fine line to, to walk, right? Because if you make their alternative game plans too good, then the baseline heroes that are just kind of competing on that core, like great level, just can't ever beat them. And if you make them not good enough, then they can't beat the baseline hero. So it's like, it's just a really awkward thing about flesh and blood. I guess I'm kind of realizing it maybe like, it's just really difficult to find that sweet spot for these alternative strategies. I don't know how much yeah, you agree and if with you, that, though. I, I do. I think if you look at some of what I would consider alternative strategies, you look at the original Prism, you look at what Chain was doing, you look at even Icelander, and these heroes have been like some of the best heroes in the game. <laughs> yeah. They, they are not playing Flesh and Blood the way most people are playing Flesh and Blood. They're doing something very outside the realm. And, and even if we I look at Lexi. probably fits that build, too. I would argue Lexi fits that build now too, just because of uh, most heroes in the game can't draw three cards for one card <laughs> and have it not be a downside. Like uh, the sure Riptide and Azalea can play that card, but it's much harder for them to consistently use those three cards. And there's just no downside to Lexi, I guess, like drawing those three cards. It's just like one card, draw three cards. It's like, okay, cool. Like it's busted. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Lexi kind of just like plays the value game better than everybody else. She just like gets extra cards, does a bunch of on hits, has infinite go against her. She can play a bunch of like these really value on hits. I feel like Lexi is like the queen of value. Like, just number the queen of value. Yeah, she gets Codex of Frailty, which is like the best value card they've printed potentially ever. It's just like <laughs> here are two cards for one card. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay. You ready to see some more heroes? I am. I am. Who do you got at the bottom of C tier? So I think the ordering in C tier was really tough for me because I think all these heroes kind of are lacking a little bit, but they could all do well at the right spots and they all have some like kind of stronger aspects. But I think um, so ultimately I could be convinced that my ordering is wrong, but I think I'm pretty happy with who is in this tier. So the bottom of my C tier is Phi. Okay. So Fi was, he's been in a weird spot where he was the best deck at one point, and then he got Stubby Hammer's banned, and then he was still solid, and then he got Belittle banned, and now Fi kind of sucks. <laughs> Sorry, Fi. Um, I think he also isn't in a great spot in the metagame where he kind of struggles into Lexi, Icelander, and Bravo, which, again, are some of the best decks. I think he also struggles into Dash and Azalea, and, again, he, he has a good draw my matchup, but that's the only the only hero that i'm really happy to be playing that's considered pretty good when i'm playing five please be dromai every round i don't want to fight anybody else that's fair uh i have him at the top of my c tier i kind of put him and i guess spoilers katsu together it's just kind of like the ninjas uh we talked about lexi being the like the best hero at just playing this number value game and when Fi had you know stubby hammers and belittle minnowism he he was the king of just value numbers and i think while he's not at like that upper echelon of value numbers anymore i still think his consistent value on per turn cycle basis um is still something that every hero in the game kind of has to respect and you know when he's popping off and able to put together his pieces of art of war or um spreading flames and draw that kind of consistent mix that he needs he still is like really threatening race with basically any hero in the game when left like to his own devices so i think he's 
fine as like a top of C. And I think like having a deck like Phi being the top of C tier, like the def- like he is like in my mind the perfect crystallization of like an average like C hero. He's not by any means bad like there's no there's like you would never like if you're playing fight in armory or anything like that or like in mid-level events like you're fine you're going to compete and you're going to do just fine and stuff like that but is he doing anything that's like mind-boggling like great or blowing anybody away in the game no of course not like he's just like he's just like boom perfect average hero so you're saying he's the ryu of flesh and blood yeah sure yeah <laughs> he's his yeah, he's just, he's just there. I, I would agree with that. I think Fi does have one other strength that I think isn't particularly relevant in most meta games, but it is something that's really strong about Fi. Is he's probably the aggro deck that's the hardest to fatigue between Searing Emberblade coming in for three, and then him being able to loop two Phoenix Flames and then get the Shuko proc. That's like five damage each turn without spending a card from the, your deck. It's really hard to have an actual successful fatigue strategy against Fi. Yeah, and I will say as a small caveat here too. I think they're so Dromai got the tome that for that allows Dromai to create the ash and, and that's going to be one of the most powerful cards. We'll talk about that when we get to Dromai. I am curious of experimenting in that card in Phi as well, just because being royal would then also allow Phi to play Cashin. So then you have Art of War Cashin and then this tome to help you kind of like filter into your more powerful turns. And you're like, we were just talking about consistency a little bit when I was talking about Phi as well, where since you don't have a little minnowism anymore, you just were lacking the really, like you, you need a blue or some, a resource card per hand to like fuel your searing Ember Blade since that costs two to attack with. And normally you're going to play one, one cost card, ideally on a turn cycle. And it just kind of led to some awkward hands where like, okay, well I have, an all red hand and i i just can't play or really utilize my my turn cycle in a really meaningful way and there's a potential where if you want to go to like this really heavy red line version of phi now um you can just kind of rely on your cash back at cash ins two and three to be these resource cards but you try to use tome as best you can to give you these resources and dig to your power cards i think there could be something there i'm not 100 percent on it but it's something that i at least like want to mess around with yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit skeptical because both the the hats, the ninja hats are so For strong. Sure. Like they're the hats that you look at your ninja decks, you never expect to see Crown of Providence in them. You've got two very, very good hat options between Mask Momentum, Momentum and Mask of the Pouncing Links. I also think that when you're playing Tome, you draw two and pitch two, two reds. If you draw into two blues or a blue and a yellow as five, you're going to have to pitch your reds and you're just going to have these blues left over that you're going to be playing. And then also Tome, it's not actually plus value in Phi to play because you're, you're pitching this card. You're basically playing this card. You're going to pitch two reds, so you'll have two resources. You're basically spent this one card for two resources. You can use one of those resources. Three resources. Furnace, to three resources. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So three resources. But the reason it's so good in Dromai is because Dromai creates two ashes off those two reds that are mm-hmm. pitched, whereas Phi is not getting, Phi's not getting that, that value out of it. So it's basically it's kind of like a blue no block in a lot of spots and i think it might have a little bit of downside from there from just being a blue no block sure i guess it's just like in my mind as well you want to be playing the three phoenix flames as well and fly so it gives you an extra way to pitch and get more value out of playing those extra phoenix flames i don't know uh i could definitely see what you're saying being true but 
I don't know, new card, try something new, see what works. If not, <laughs> just maintain your same status of the default C tier hero, where are spots to be. Yep. All right, who's the bottom of your C tier? I got Dorinthia at the bottom of my C tier. Okay. Uh, Tell me about Dorinthia. She's just there. Uh, so when I said like Phi is the best, what I could think of is like the rate value of just a hero uh, being like a CTU hero. I think Dorinthia is the worst of that because when she pops off with Dawnblade or whatever with like sing, sing, uh, Glistening Steelblade, sure, she's presenting some really big numbers and she punishes opponents who aren't able to block her effectively. But there's also a lot of game plans that just can just completely ignore the Dawnblade and outrace her. She's still really vulnerable to then getting disruptive at a certain point in time. She doesn't play particularly well from behind in games. And ultimately, at the end of the day, all Dorinthia has going for her is numbers. Like, it's just, it's just numbers. There's no disruption. There's no super interesting things going on she's got some good blocking equipment she's got some interesting attack reactions she can mess around with but at the end of the day it's just it's just numbers man and that's the bottom of c tier for me because it's not even like good efficient consistent numbers it's just like mopey numbers <laughs> yeah i i really need to go into the lab and work on some during i still think she is better than I guess we give her credit for the world gives her credit for. I think like the fact that she can pivot so well between offense and defense where like all of her cards that are good on offense still block for three. And um, she has very good blocking equipment. I don't, I think her matchup into Lexi is actually probably reasonable. Maybe not probably, probably not great. Cause Lexi's just so, so good, but like reasonable. And then you get like some equity from being able to put, pivot to a fatigue strategy of Lexi feels forced to block out your Dawn blade early when you're threatening the counters and, Lexi's pretty encouraged to block because she can she can really race pretty easily if she gets a couple counters on the Dawn Blade. So I think Dorinthia, I, I actually put her in my B tier, but I I'm not super solid on that. I also think the the Great Axe kind of gives her an alternate strategy into decks that are looking to fatigue her usually. So like I think the Bravo matchup is probably quite good for her. She loads up with some defense reactions and fires the the Great Axe. Like that matchup seems good. And then any other deck that you're looking to play a grindy game, you can do that now. Don't so, you just lose that matchup 100%? Pick, what do you so mean? let's say Bravo presents Anathos and then you spend your card swinging four and Bravo just swings back four to six. Sure, yours is a little bit harder to block, but he has the higher base number on his weapon. Because it's not like Dorinthia can put counters on the Great Axe. Like, you're just doing a thing. Well, it's four damage that it's costs more cards to block. So, like, if Bravo's blocking your weapon with two cards and you're blocking his weapon with two cards, it's pretty break-even, right? Yeah, so how can you say she's, like, favored then? Because then also he's going to have his Guardian attacks that will then come in over the top and, you know, dominate and eventually deal something. And it's pummelable. Pummelable? Is that a word? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I don't know. May maybe I'm wrong. I haven't spent the time working on Dory, but I, I do think... Do you think what she really needed is like another blue three block that gave you maybe conditional value if your opponent has a defense reaction in Arsenal? I do not believe the new card from the expansion slot is very good. It is a blue block three with some ability, but 
without ways to set your opponent's arsenal like codexes or ways to know what's in their arsenal because Dorothea is a warrior that doesn't do that i i imagine that you shouldn't be playing that card but i don't know for sure all right my next c tier hero is bullet your best buddy bullet i think that <laughs> this hero has a lot of problems mainly uh inconsistency on top of just like a lack of consistency on top of a lack of power so even when you're doing the thing the power is not it's not quite there i feel like so i i just think bolton's not not quite not quite good enough right now but you're making some faces so i'll let you yeah, have a puzzled bolton. look on think? my face because you're like the power is not there and i'm like bolton has the most busted power cards in the game probably like when you like he is the capable of probably the highest ceiling in the game of any hero when all of the stars align things line up with like uh sabers combo i i would say is the most single amount of damage any hero can present in the game in a single turn um have you read kano you're right kano probably beats sabers combo but (laughs) i don't think it's that far off and uh i guess we just have bolton and dorinthia flipped because bolton's in my b tier and i think the new hat is interesting for him warband of bologna that's a card i think is is actually subtly really impactful for him because if we looked at to the, our my last spoiler in, in dustal dawn they gave us uh v for valor and i was like v for valor sweet you could just play this card and then if you ever draw a hand without a charge card in it boom v for valor's got you you just you just get to have this thing sitting around to make sure you just don't clunk and sure you have to spend an action point in a turn but it's fine you just spend that turn blocking and then you play your beaver valor and then you're just good you're just good you have a beaver valor you're all good and then lss said what if we just turn beaver valor into an equipment that blocks for two with temper and you don't ever you don't have to spend that action point in the game anymore to just have that consistent one turn out for not having a charge card and then also it'll draw you a card when you charge you charge a yellow card to get that extra reward just as the cherry on top and i was like oh okay cool we should just never play beaver valid our decks ever again <laughs> got a new hat yeah, just, just that card is whatever now um so yeah i think i think warband of Alona is a huge boon for bolton not for sabers necessarily i still think it's not uh, a sabers combo card just because that becomes pretty resource intensive at that point because you specifically need a blue then to activate gallantry gold and warband uh to kind of do the thing but for a raid in game plan in particular i think it's a pretty big boon and allows you just to have these more flexible game plan situations so i think short of me putting in a lot of time and learning another hero i'm playing i'm probably playing bolton in dallas so i think he's i think he's pretty powerful i don't know okay maybe you'll you'll show me he doesn't belong in c tier just like people showed me ice <sighs> wait i'm actually glad C-tier. you put him in c tier it's just like the time you put icelander in c tier you're always gonna fuck up <laughs> horribly with one c tier hero pick yeah, and then, one of them's uh, actually then broken. Bolton's going to win the next five events. Thank you. I'm so glad. Thank you for putting him in C tier. I can't wait yep, to see Bolton anytime, buddy. win the next five events in a row after this now. Who else you got in your C tier? Levia. Okay. Uh, she is 
there and does brute things and can sometimes not die as horribly to her own deck. But it turns out when your hero ability and this extra super special card in your sideboard is still built around your deck not killing you, your deck will still still sometimes just kill you. And that's just not a great... uh, place to be i guess like you can present some really good numbers but your numbers are still just numbers and sometimes your deck just kills you i don't know i i put levy at the top of my c tier i kind of agree i think that ultimately levia has a decent amount going for her i think she's a lot better than reinar i think that she does do some powerful things just like i think the best way to play levia is relying on rolling scab skins a lot which is fine, is sure something you can do, but if that's kind of how you build your deck, you're, it's not going to be the most consistent. And I think that kind of just like leads to a lot of the more competitive players moving away from working on Levia, which means she's not going to be fully fleshed out and the best builds of her probably aren't found right now and might not be found <laughs> because there's so many heroes in this game. It's so hard. You can't spend your time on everything. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, well. What do you think she's missing? Like, what would what push her over the top? Well, I think the easy answer is some good gloves, but that's, that's true fair. for a lot of heroes. Yeah. Um, right now, like, just like easy access to action points or ways to get action points or way, or an equipment that turns off blood debt for you other than the... Right now, she can play Ebonfold to turn off blood debt. She can play the Hellhammer to turn off blood debt, but like, you don't want to give up like the good equipment for those cars. So yeah. What happens if like there was a like a arm piece or whatever that like you can sacrifice it and your next attack will get plus X where X is the number of cards with blood debt in your grave in like your banished zone. That's a lot of stats on one, on one glove piece. That's like a plus 10 or something. Is it? I mean like, so it would be a Nambo in the end game because both, uh, Levia Redeem makes it so your cards lose blood debt, right? So that, then it does nothing at that point. And uh, Blasphemet makes it so you can't, you have this limited pool of blood debt cards after you transform into him. And then from the rest of the game, all your cards are banished face down. So then you don't get buff anymore. So it's not good in the early game and it's not good in the super late game. So then it's probably best in the mid game. Well, even like the first turn you transform into Blasphemet, then you'll be at 13. You'll probably have somewhere between five and nine cards in blood debt. You just activate it. You get a plus nine on your next attack, your first attack of the turn. That, yeah. That would be... Maybe divided by two, rounded like in half. Yeah, maybe you make it cost three resources or something too. Just put I, I, there just needs to be a, 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 another... I, I'm just thinking of like rewarding the deck for doing what it wants to be doing. She wants to be putting cards in blood debt. Give her a reward for putting the cards in blood debt since there's such an obvious negative to having cards with blood debt in your banner. So just, just, just reward the deck for doing what it wants to do. That's all. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I'm not positive that she's missing any cards. I think like, I think she struggles a little bit in Icelander. <laughs> common, common thing. I think she struggles a little bit in Alexi. Um, these disruptive decks that, especially Lexi, where it forces you to block or you're going to get a bunch of on hits, it's really tough if you need your hand to turn off Blood Debt, but if you don't block, you're going to take a bunch of extra damage. So you just, you're taking a bunch of extra damage either way. It's it's tough. It's a tough spot to be Levia at. That's fair. Okay, moving on. Um, so I have Kano. Yeah, same. Okay. Uh, Kano, solidly C tier, has a bad matchup in Lexi, has a bad matchup in Icelander. Sweet hero. 
does some cool stuff. Um, once those two leave, randomly. Yeah. Once those two leave, he might be good. I think he still struggles into a lot of other heroes, but <laughs> not tackle <laughs> cool. Not tackle Vesson, that's for sure. Um, Kano is also. It's weird. He's like a high variance hero and also a zero variance hero, depending on the matchup. So, hmm. how much time uh, you have to pitch stack? Yeah, yeah. So, I think. I also think Kano might be a little bit underexplored. Like every time we, I kind of put Kano at the bottom and then people show up and do really well with Kano at pro level events. So I I don't know, maybe he's higher than C tier and maybe he's just like the only the, the diehard Kano players are the ones working on him. And it's just not getting enough mainstream attention to like push him into what he needs to be like B tier maybe, I guess, but I don't know. He's, Speaking of heroes that don't play flesh and blood like the the other heroes in the game, I think Kano fits that bill pretty well. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, my next hero in C tier is a roller is the is the true roller coaster hero of flesh and blood. She was she was she started way down here, and then she was looking like she was going to be way up here, and now she's right here, and it's Azalea, and it's just like oh, it's bad, great, mm, I don't know, like middling. And it just depends on how many warmongers diplomacies are floating around the format. People start trimming warmongers diplomacies. She seems pretty sweet. Brody Spurlock just played Azalea over the past weekend to a top eight finish. Seems makes sense to me. He probably didn't face too many warmongers diplomacies. And yeah, they just like, that's just what that hero is now. It's just, can you beat the skill check kind of like wizards should in theory lose to the more arcane barrier that or spell void that's floating around in the format. She's just going to be checked by the amount of warmongers diplomacies floating around in the format at any given time. Yeah. I, I put her a bit higher than, than you did. I think that she has tools in a lot of the good decks. I think she really struggles in a Bravo and Dromai, which I feel like I've been saying a lot, but yeah, yeah. she's like not that bad in the Lexi and Pretty good in the ice liner as well. So I, I think she's in an okay spot. Yeah. Makes sense. My last C tier hero is Max okay. the Hype Nitro. I think that's his title. Yeah. He's pretty <laughs> Max. Hype. Yeah. Uh, so I think Max does some interesting things better than Dash One does with the boost aggro plan. I think like the big berthas and crankshafts are cards you actively want in your deck, especially the blues. When you boost them, you get a free counter on your hyperdriver, which is just a plus one every time that happens. I think Banksy is a better weapon in aggro races than induction or than plasma than Teclo. What is the pistol called? Technoplasma purifier. No, yeah. I think so. Teclo plasma purifier is the plus one thing. Induction chambers to go again one. Teclo plasma pistol. Whatever the pistol's called where it's a resource for two. Banksy's a resource for three, as long as you crank something. And it has an on hit, which gives you the, your resource back, basically, when it hits by recharging your hyperdriver. I Plasma think, pistols, right, yeah. I think that gives Max some pretty strong tools in the no blocks aggro races where you have your weapon with an on hit. Um, I also think being able to, in the late game, turn into this hydroid mechanism, whatever it's called, um, yeah. When you get the three, you get the three hyperdrivers out, and in aggro mirrors, this is really strong. You get to play a bunch of above rate attacks. You're just boosting. You're just playing a, a good game. You get basically six copies of zero to sixty, and not zero to sixty, zipper hit and throttle because you have jumpstart and the rev up that are basically more copies of those, which means you're just like going above rate more often in max than you are in boost dash, and I think. 
all those things combined make up for the lack of Spark of Genius and aggro matchups. My worry is that Max is going to struggle against decks that are pretty happy to block him out and just play a long game and see if he runs out of cards. The the Mechanoid helps with that, but it's not really enough to um, not get fatigued by itself. You need more things going on, and I think that's where why Max is not higher. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, like I said, I'm ambivalent about Max. Don't know, can't say one way or another. Uh, especially considering you you outlined some reasons why you should play him over Dash. I think that's the biggest question mark I have is what about his game plan um, and this hyper driver focus uh, is worth it in class constructed. Um, we'll see. Uh, he might just be a limited only hero. I don't know, but I'm open. I'm open to somebody figuring out a sweet max deck. I'd be all in. I, I would love to put him in a mech. I, I, I'll, I'll be a Gundam pilot any day of the week. <laughs> uh, my last hero in C tier though is Katsu for pretty much all the same reasons as Phi. Uh, just numbers guy. Uh, usually, maybe he should be a little bit higher or flipped with Phi's like top of C tier. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think there's still some core issues that I think I've addressed a little bit in prior episodes of this podcast where I'm just not a believer in Kadachis in 2023 or in going forward. I just think that rate just isn't really where you want to be. I think he can struggle with the ordering of the cards where sometimes you'll draw a bunch of your combo pieces in the early game um, and you just won't have the cards in your graveyard in order to like really meaningfully make use of the turn cycles. And he suffers from the room blade problems where sometimes you'll draw all the combo pieces or all the chain starters and you'll just clump in some ways or another and he doesn't really have any ways to fix or address that so those are kind of my three big issues with katsu with that being said he does do some really super powerful things and does have um like some clear very high ceiling potential as well yeah katsu made my beat here because some of the some of the turns that Katsu can have are just like really, really strong. And a lot of times your opponent Katsu doesn't block, keeps a four or five card hand. They lead on Surging Strike and you just feel like you're dead no matter what you do. <laughs> they go Surging Strike, maybe you block it out. They go Whelming Gust Wave and you just blocked out the Surging Strike and now you're like, well, I have to block this. So you block with your last two cards. Then if they naturally have Bonds, you just like, it feels like you just lose the game on the spot. And even if they don't, they can go Kadachi Kadachi into some other go again attack and draw a card off their mass momentum. And still have a really, really strong turn. And I think that combined with um, Ancestral Empowerment and the the gloves that you can sack to give a combo card plus one, I think just let Katsu reliably thread these odd hits and kind of force through a couple of extra, usually throughout the course of a game that are often worth a full card in the case of Whelming Gust Wave or even using Katsu's ability to go get Bonds of Ancestry when you need it. And I think because of that, Katsu is just like really powerful. And once... Lexi is gone and not kind of beating him up and giving him all these frostbites. I think Katsu has a good chance of doing pretty well in the metagame. That's fair. So now we're moving on to some B-boys and girls. Yep. Well, I already talked about my last B-tier hero in Bolton. Bolton's my B-boy. Who's your last B-person? I have Dash Io as the, the lowest of B-tier. I think she does some really cool things. I think that the aggro boost versions that are playing extra items off the top, they're using uh, high or high speed impact. No, maximum velocity, high octane. 
All mm. the mech cards sound the same to me. They're using high octane to get a bunch of action points so they can fire their gun a bunch of times. She is capable of some very high damage output turns, and even her setup turns are usually like threatening a decent amount of damage where she's like attacking a couple times and putting playing an item. Like pretty strong. She gets Spark of Genius, which is great. Spark of Genius with the, some of the new crank options means that it doesn't always end your turn. So you can do something, play Spark of Genius, draw a card, crank the, the item you get off of it. And then the amount of value you get from playing a card off the top for just a single resource, that's like a plus two every time you do that. And if you're running hot, you're going to do that most turns of the game, which is which is crazy. So yeah, I think- and the big thing that's baked into the items is that they don't have go again. So they're supposed to cost you an action point. So casting them as an instant, it's pretty good. That's true. That that one resource is kind of paying for the action point too, in, in that way. So it's kind of like and a it's free paying a resource for uh, uh, an action point. Good. Well, there any other creepers <laughs> who have been able to pay one resource for an action point and do really, really good things in the game. I'll tear spellbound creepers. <laughs> anyway, so I I think Dash IO does have some issues. Like you have to figure out how to beat fatigue consistently with her. You have to figure out how to not just die to Lexi because you're playing a bunch of items that don't block. And Lexi says, you better block me or I'm going to get a bunch of extra damage or extra other effects. So I think I can see this hero becoming uh, a real big part of the metagame in the future. I think, well, Lexi's on top. That's probably not going to happen. I think she's just like solid the bottom of B tier where she's pretty good in some of the other decks that are good, but not great into everything. I was looking around for a coin and I realized I don't have any coins. I just have I just have poker chips like I fiddle around with. Uh, because what I was gonna say is that uh, I have Dash IO and B tier, but I also have old Dash uh, Inventor Extraordinaire or whatever. Uh, and like right next to her, because I feel like they're B tier, two sides of the same coin, where I think you're talking a lot about like the boost dash synergies that dash IO gives you. And I think that's where her home's going to be, especially given that she starts with a lower starting leg total. She's just going to want to uh, put her foot on the gas and just try to get the game over with as fast as possible so that her uh, life total gap just doesn't matter as much and being able to go above rate with the items and the amount of items she wants to put in her deck just really don't incentivize playing really long control grindy games but being able to start with your um induction chamber and play with your uh techno plasma pistol can kind of give a lot of room for tree frog dash now to kind of take advantage to some of these new tools that came in the new bright light set so i can definitely see uh like a more controlling style of dash that actually does play some generics maybe you even play some evos in this deck as well to help c- go along with these uh more controlling style of dash considering like she never really had arm pieces to begin with so giving up like the <laughs> starting with goliath gauntlet or your evo space arms really isn't a big difference so if you can just mm-hmm. like eventually transform those into some blocking equipment get some value there seems like a powerful thing to be doing on top of which just this normal dash game plan of just shooting your pistol blocking a bunch shooting your pistol blocking a bunch seems pretty good to me yeah uh old school dash dash inventor whatever her name is <laughs> Inventor extraordinaire. Yeah, I think so. Uh, she actually made my A tier for some of the reasons you were talking about. I think like she still has all the boost stuff. She can kind of pivot between the boost stuff and like setting up uh, the gun, the item package with defense reactions. And 
the same deck even. And then you also have the tree frog version, which I think will probably end up being less less represented and probably less powerful than the hybrid version. But I think it is still like even if you could only play Dash as Tree Frog, I think it would still be better than some of the C tier heroes. So Yeah, for sure. Um and you also have that interesting thing where you sit down from your opponent, you're like, are they gonna be boost aggro? Are they gonna be tree frog? Tree frog. And the <laughs> The different ways you should be sideboarding for each of those matchups is really, really extreme. And that's kind of like one of the powerful things that uh, Original Dash kind of, like one of the powerful questions she just asked you that she's like, you got to make a decision, you got to sideboard, and you won't know until she flips over her equipment. And even sometimes not even right then, but usually when you see the equipment, I think the chess piece is the biggest differentiator where the tree frogs usually are on tunic and the other ones are on the, the Tecla Foundry heart. So she's in my A tier. Makes sense. Uh, I doubt you'll have this hero in your A tier there. Where did you got Uzuri with me in B? Where we both B Uzuri oh, yeah. believers? She's my next hero. <laughs> she's almost like the crystallizing definition of B tier to me, <laughs> which is a, a kind of an interesting spot to be like slightly above rate, difficult to interact with, and really punishing on hits. Um, I guess maybe not slightly above rate, but like on rate, I guess would be more of the, the way to say it. With the really I think she struggles on hits. to stay on rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you got to play spiders, but you got to play these, these horrible, atrocious, bad, bad weapon cards, and you don't have a lot of resources in your deck. So then you're just struggling to AB into decks like Icelander and you're vulnerable to frostbites. And sometimes your disruption really doesn't line up very well, but when you are being your tricky, oozery, flippy self, and you're really punishing your opponents where they're damned if they do, damned if they don't, it's a super powerful hero. Yeah, it makes sense. I think Uzuri gets a lot of equity also against pe- people that aren't as used to playing as Uzuri. I think she does a lot of things that are very powerful if you do not make the correct choice. And sometimes there isn't a correct choice, but a lot of the time there is. And I think she does play below rate a lot of the game, but she's also very good at making your opponent play below rate. When you go Codex back my Leave No Witnesses, <laughs> then yeah. your opponent's probably blocking that with two cards or a card and equipment. Um, I think Shakedown is also, I talked about it a little bit when we talked about Arachne. I think Shakedown's a very, very good card. The fact that you have this two for six, which is at rate that can look at their hand and strip a card from it. Um, swapping in CNC is very good. And you just got that new card if you're interested in more contract things. And um, the contract that wants you to banish the non attack actions, right? Uh, already dead. Banish the top card when you've non attack action cards. Yeah. And the reason why this card's significant is because it's a two cost six power attack that blocks for three and Uzuri already could have been like a pretty solid pummel deck between command and conquer and her specialization and giving her more i'd like i honestly think the biggest thing holding back assassins at the moment is they lack more two for sixes that are good pummel targets like i think if they get one more good pummel target now they're just like very 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 good pummel decks and right now it's not because you're still playing things like death touch leave no witnesses and light and strike um interestingly surgical extractions a decent pummel target um but i think if they just get like one more one more good two cost two for six three block attack um i think they're in a really good spot yeah, I, I would agree. I do think their weapons still are going to keep them from being... I don't think they'll ever be the best sure. deck in the format or anything, even if they get like all the right cards. I feel like we haven't really seen a 
a deck be the best deck in the format without having a very good weapon. And right now, you talked about Kadachi's being bad. Spider's Bite and all the Assassin Daggers are, I think, reasonably worse than Kadachi's, and that's rough. Pre-Rosetta Thorn Chain was probably the best deck without a good weapon, right? Uh, that was before my time, but probably. That's that's the one I could think of. Did you play Reaping Blade then? Yeah, Just I think so. Three. Okay. Maybe Galaxy Black, but... Yeah, I couldn't say. But they did have Rosetta Thorn, and all the other Runeblade weapons suck, and it was the best deck, so by process of elimination. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> all right. Next, uh, I have Katsu. I kind of already talked about him. I think just capable of doing a lot of damage. Very strong. And when I think one last thing I'll say about Katsu is when the decks in, that are doing well don't have access to a lot of armor, it makes it a lot harder to block out his weird breakpoints. It makes mass momentum a lot more punishing. And a lot of the decks that are towards the top of my list uh, don't have good armor. Yeah. But there's a hero that's missing that definitely has really good armor. Bravo. He's in your B. He's he's at like he is like straddling. He's like B plus A minus here. Like I do, I I couldn't decide where to put him. Like he is like so like I I can't evaluate. I guess how much of an impact one that new. If we're just diving into it now, uh, the new leg pieces from the. Uh, party pack or whatever what's it called the civic footsteps or around the table yeah yeah from from around the table civic footsteps and also there's some interesting uh guardian attack action cards that came out in that set as well that seemed promising for him so i could see him still being like i put him in a tier last time and i think he was pretty solidly at the top of b tier and now putting him at the top of b tier and i could see him being at the bottom of a tier like i, I think he's just Right in between those two lines. But did you put him at bottom of A tier? <laughs> I put him in middle of A tier. A middle of A tier. Yeah. So I, I think that Bravo probably deserved to be the bottom of A tier last season. And I think he's just gotten better. The footsteps are good. And of the heroes that are like, I, I actually think Bravo might have a favored matchup into Lexi right now, which is, it's hard to put a hero in B tier that is favored into Lexi if they also have a reasonable matchup spread elsewhere, which maybe isn't true. He's not great in the Icelander. He's pretty bad in the dash. But Aside from the boots, what do you, do you think the boots really just make that much of a difference into Lexi? Or like what of these new Guardian cards really change that matchup then? It, it's just the boots. But having two extra life and one more point where you can stop a break point is huge. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, I can see it. But that matchup was fine before but i think it was still pretty like i would think it's like 60 40 lexi favored i don't maybe the boots make it 55 45 or maybe 50 50 but i i would really hesitate to say he's favored into lexi i don't think any deck in the format's favored into lexi that's that's fair it, it is a bold claim to say he's favored into lexi but i i think there's a lot going for him he has a lot going for him and yeah i don't know i i think I think he solidly belongs in A tier now, but we'll see. That, that and when you think about like his matchup in a Dromai, that matchup makes me want to jump off a cliff. <laughs> that is matchup is you can make it favored, you can do whatever you want as long as your rounds are three hours long. As long as you have three hour round timer limits, you sure I'm happy playing Bravo. But the fact that you're probably gonna get paired in a Dromai at some point and get a draw, 
you know, I it makes me not want to play that hero. <laughs> I hate um, I hate the Dromai B Bravo matchup so much, dude. It's so it's so annoying. Fair. That's uh, I guess a good reason not to play Bravo if you hate the matchup that much. I think like you might be able to like between pressuring to killer and pressuring to fatigue I think Bravo is in a good spot in that matchup, like you said, with infinite time. And I think it's really on the Dromai to have a, a good plan to overcome that. And I think it's not easy from the Dromai side. Chromai Dust probably helps. I think that might be part of the puzzle, but I have not figured that puzzle out from the Dromai side. Yeah. If they like I don't care which side they put it on, uh just make that matchup not take five hours where Dromai needs to play six remembrances and play twenty dragons and ashes in order to on seventeenth cycle to potentially maybe win the game if Bravo plays poorly. Uh, just make Bravo have a card that's like crush, destroy any number of allies or yeah. give Dromai just cards that say, like that are like your opponent can't attack you with cards with power six or greater dragon or something like that. Like <laughs> either way, I'm okay putting either, either way they want to press their thumbs on the scale to make that matchup not take 15 hours. I'm fine with, but please, for the love of God, don't make that matchup like take 15 hours anymore. Like it's just, it's so, it's so, it's so unfun and uninteresting and boring. Hmm. It might be my least favorite matchup in flesh and blood. All right. Last hero in B tier for me is Azalea. You talked about her, you put her in C tier, right? And I think, I think that maybe, maybe she belongs lower than I put her. Because every time we cover on Manor University, I feel like it's been very underwhelming. <laughs> where it's like, Azalea is this hero that can do these really, really powerful things. And then she never does them ever and just dies. So I remember <laughs> uh, the game the game I covered by myself while you were out last week, it was Azalea versus Lexi. And she dominated like two or three Red and the Ledgers early in the game. Was up like 22 to 38 or something and then didn't do anything for the rest of the game. And, died. and I'm like, hmm, hmm. This does seem kind of kind of like an Azalea thing to do. So I think I think she only dominated two right in the ledgers, and then the third one went on the bottom of the decks somehow. I don't remember how, but yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's tough. Azalea does Azalea things. Uh, on top of that, she has a horrible matchup into Bravo and a horrible matchup into Warmonger's Diplomacy, and she's a reasonably inconsistent deck. Probably and she's not great into Dromai. She's not good at clearing yep. dragons. Yep. And so maybe she belongs lower than the top of B tier, but that's where I put her this week. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that like she like even without Warmonger's diplomacy, I think she's dubious into what I consider to be the top three decks in the format. I think already kind of put a hamper on her, but I don't know. Then then you have to factor in Warmonger's diplomacy too. It's like okay. You got anyone else in B tier? Nope. All right. Talk about Bravo. Now 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 this gets easy. Now we just say like oh, okay, these are the good heroes in the game. Whoop de doo. We got Dromai. We got Icelander. We got Lexi. Like say at S tier, we got Dromai and Icelander in A tier. Uh, I'd put Icelander slightly higher than Dromai at the moment, but I could be convinced that Dromai is better than Icelander at the moment. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That's this. That's this. Is, this. This. That's why I didn't want to start on this because it's boring. It's like this is the state of the game. We could forget about the, the past like fifty <laughs> minutes that this podcast has gone on. Throw it out the window. Probably none of these heroes probably can even reasonably somewhat even expect to like consistently beat these heroes i think they're all 50 50 or maybe not all but like especially in alexi i think everything in the deck in particular everything in the game is 50 50 or worse in alexi at the moment but it is what it is man uh 
I don't think I'd push back too hard against that, but being 50-50 against Lexi is like, that's, that's tough to do. Lexi's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I have, Lexi Dallas. My, I have Lexi alone in my S tier, but in A tier, I actually have four heroes. I think I talked about them. I have Icelander first, Bravo second, Drum my third, and Dash fourth. Okay. No, no radical departures on either of our ends, other than like me not knowing how to evaluate Max. But aside from that, it seemed like we're pretty much on the same page. Maybe we have we had the Warriors flipped. Yeah, I put Katsu and Azalea a lot higher than you, though. I think you you talked me down quite a bit on Azalea. I think I think Katsu. I like where I put Katsu, though. I think. It's yeah, good. I could see myself being too low on Katsu. Yeah, and that, ultimately he's below the top three decks, and it doesn't matter. You could I could have put an F tier. You know, it's all the same thing to him. <laughs> <laughs> it does matter. <laughs> and if you want, if I'm being really blunt. Outside of Icelander and Lexi, it really feels like there's really like like you. There's no reason to play any other here on the game. I know I said earlier that I'm probably playing Bolton in Dallas, but like I could just also play Icelander in Dallas too. Like it, it's it might be a game day decision between which of those two. Do I go with my head or my heart? You know. Sure, sure. But yeah, all right. That's, that's where we're at. We didn't get any bans. Lexi's still the best deck. Bright Lights came out. None of it mattered to Lexi because she's still <laughs> the best deck. And it's how she living legend. She will be the best deck. Bra- Bravo and Dromai got better. And Dash got better. And Lexi's Bravo still the Dromai. best deck. <laughs> but not by but Lexi's still the best much. deck. <laughs> but not by quite she's still the best. Uh, well, thanks everybody for... <laughs> Listening to our tier list of the brand new Bright Lights metagame. Uh, shaking up. <laughs> Thanks for listening to 50 Minutes. That's why This is why I want to end the podcast here. Because I'll, if we would have started the podcast here, there'd be no reason to listen to the rest of it. <laughs> and I hope nobody skipped the end. Because uh, they, they know the secret now. But uh, yeah, Lexi's best deck. Next time you're losing to Lexi at whatever event you're playing in, always remember, mind your manners. 